It is a blessing to have each of you with us. Thank y'all for letting me share with y'all today. When they told me they had extra stuff they wanted to share, I was a little nervous because I didn't want to lose my time to preach. So she was very short, and I'm very grateful for that. It is great to, oh, I'm supposed to collect the offering. What a terrible pastor forgets to take the offering. So uh, at this time, the ushers are going to come, and they're going to receive our morning tithes and offerings. So I am very grateful for them paying attention. So anyways, it is, uh, I'm going to go ahead and get started while they're doing it, if that's okay with you guys. So uh, it is a blessing to have each of you with us just to be able to celebrate the Lord. Uh, Amy also mentioned that there were many from the community that came. Uh, we actually had several who made decisions for Christ, which we also celebrate. And we had uh, several of them who uh, hopefully we'll be able to see some of them back in church with us as well. Uh, but it was truly a blessing. I shared with you last week that uh, it was a blessing for me to be able to participate in a sabbatical. Uh, that's a time where the pastor basically gets to get away and unplug a little bit, uh, to spend a little bit more time also in the Word, and hopefully to become a little bit better prepared for ministry. And it was an incredible blessing for me. One of the reasons why that's so valuable is because in our culture today, ministry has become more difficult on pastors, and I actually find it almost ironic that I got a sabbatical because I think that I'm in a much better place than many other pastors. Um, I read a statistic this past week from George Barna that said 29% of pastors admitted that they have considered quitting over the last year. And the truth is, I feel like I'm in a really good place and I don't want to quit. I don't believe that that's what I need to do, but I don't ever want to reach that point. Uh, some of the reason why some of those pastors are wanting to quit has to do with personal reasons. Some of it is because ministry is difficult. Uh, some of it is simply because 2020 was crazy. Uh, there were things that happened in 2020 that you could be in ministry for another 100 years and you probably will never see some of those things again. And as a result, there are many who need rest. Uh, my sabbatical was a great time to reflect on where I am as a pastor and as a child of God. After 27 years of ministry, I find that there is still much left to be done. I know that the past couple of years have been difficult on everybody. And maybe COVID and all the political unrest that has happened over the last year and a half has served as nothing more than a distraction to keep us from accomplishing God's call in our lives. Or maybe it's simply become a tool to point out where the church maybe is not what it ought to be and it hasn't been for a while. Well, it's time for us to right the ship. This past week, I was uh, driving down uh, 93, and there's a marathon gas station. It's over by Gold's Gym. Some of you will know where I'm referring to. Uh, I stopped and got gas, and um, gas is expensive anywhere you go, but I drove down the road, and then you run into three other gas stations. There's the one right there at the Walmart, and then at the 7-Eleven, and then right after that is the one at Ingalls. So within less than a mile, you have four gas stations. And I will tell you that I went to the one that had the lowest gas price, first of all, because that's what I do. I'm too cheap. Um, but among those four gas stations, there was a 25-cent difference in the gas price. 
My thought as I looked at that is why would individuals choose this gas station over this gas station? I know some will choose one because of the price. Some will choose one because they've always gone there. Some will choose one because it's closer to their home or to their workplace. There are all these different reasons that we go to different places, and each reason to us makes sense. The natural question comes up for me as a pastor, why would anyone choose to come to our church? I will tell you, I, I have really good reasons. Obviously, not everybody comes to our church. That means they must have some really good reasons as well. Let me suggest that when we become the church that God calls us to be, this is the place that the rest of the community will say, I need to be a part of that. It is time for the church to be more than a political voice. It is time for the church to be more than a gathering place of simply like-minded people. It is time for the church to experience revival again, true revival. And we'll talk about what that looks like in just a few moments. But there's another side to my time of reflection while I was away. It was not only about me evaluating where we are as a church, but where I am as a child of God. You see, it is easy for God's people to lose sight of who we are and who we serve. It is so easy for us to become lukewarm, looking the part, but not truly passionately pursuing Christ as we once did. The time is now for each individual, including myself, who makes up the church to experience true revival. I'm not just talking about the church as a body, I'm talking about individuals. It is time for us once, to, once again to develop a fear of God and an understanding of what he requires of us. What he requires of us. As most of you know, the theme of Trinity Wesleyan Church comes from Micah 6.8, which says, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I'll tell you the truth, that seems incredibly simple. But the problem is that for many of us, we have not done a good job of it. For many of us, we have so often redefined terms like justice and mercy so that they no longer have any idea of what God meant when he said to act justly and to love mercy. We have no idea what it looks like to walk humbly with our God. Listen to the words of Henry Blackaby as recorded in his new book, The Solomon Promise. He said, we have redefined revival in our day as something different from how scripture defines it. We have adjusted the definition to be more palatable to our tastes. We have changed God into our image. We have transformed worship youth work, and family life to be what we want. We have altered for application in our own lives nearly every commandment of God. He adds later that as long as people do what is right in their own eyes and everyone else is doing the same thing, we assume that as long as God does not judge us, everything is okay. But it is not. The time is now 
for God's people to once again return to the Lord. And the best place for us to begin is by getting back to his word. You know, the book of 2 Kings records a brief summary of various kings who didn't all reign in the way that they should have. Sure, there were some really good kings that were mixed in, but there were also some incredibly ungodly kings. In fact, by the time Josiah becomes king in 2 Kings chapter 22, the Israelites have wandered far from the Lord. For sure, they are still God's chosen people, but they're not living like it. Some would say that we're talking about the church today. We are still a church that is loved by God. We are a church that God has sacrificed his own son so that we might be redeemed. But the question is, do we truly live like we are his people? In fairness to Josiah, it could be argued that he didn't know any better. After all, he is the product of generation after generation of people who seem to have a form of godliness, yet they did not truly know God. In a manner, it would be like me as a dad. I didn't have a dad who was around our home who could show me what a godly father should look like. And as a result, I've often made mistakes in parenting simply because I've never seen it modeled correctly in front of me. Well, that's Josiah's story in actually multiple different ways. To begin with, he becomes king at the age of eight. That means he didn't have a father to show him this is what it means. But even if he did, his father wasn't the most godly of individuals. He probably, though, thought that he was doing fairly well. He seemed godly, and everybody else thought he was doing great. God's wrath had not yet fallen upon the people of Israel, so everything must be good. 18 years into his reign, the Lord impresses upon Josiah's heart to rebuild and repair the temple of God. And so a journey of restoration begins. But it wasn't so much about the building. This was about what they would find as they rebuilt. Look with me at 2 Kings chapter 22. I want to read verse, beginning in verse 8. We'll read several verses here. This is what it says. And Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan, the secretary, came to the king and reported to the king, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read it before the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahiakim the son of Shaphan and Akbor the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the secretary and Asiah the king's servant saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, 
because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book, to do according to all that is written concerning us. Now, I, w- I want you to notice here what happened. You've got Josiah who's instructed these individuals to go in and to repair the temple, to build it up again so that it would look nice. There was a day in the Jewish people's history that the temple was the most beautiful structure in all of Israel. The people of Israel knew that that was the place that God dwelt, and it was a place to be honored and respected. But years have passed since then. And what's happened is we actually find later this place that was devoted to the one true living God has actually become a place of worship of many gods. Other gods have been brought in to the temple of God for worship. Next thing you know, it loses its meaning and purpose and value, and it's just another structure that has been run down and destroyed. So Josiah says, we got to do something about this. He doesn't recognize all of the problems that exist within the temple. He doesn't recognize that what they've done by inviting these other gods into the temple was to desecrate the holy place of God, but he knows something needs to be done. As we read in that passage, it says that Shaphan comes to him specifically to give a report. He's not coming to talk about this book. He came and he says, hey, we took care of the money like you told us to do. Oh, by the way, found a book. Let me read a little bit of it to you. As the book is read, the conviction of God falls upon King Josiah. And suddenly, something changes in his heart. Can you imagine what this revelation would have meant to Josiah? One could argue that he has already revealed himself to be a good, godly king. After all, he is the one who is rebuilding the temple of God. But his form of godliness was still so incomplete. Imagine this nation that was established because of God's blessing. Yet they've reached a point where the word of God has literally become lost to them. For a generation, nobody even knows where the word is. Shaphan reports, we have found the word of God. That means it's been lost. We hadn't heard from this in years. Never, never, most of the individuals there never even heard of what the word of God actually said. Here they are, they're as lost as any other nation out there. And here we have Josiah's generation, totally unaware that anything is even missing. These are not random words, by the way, that you might find in a news article or even in a history lesson that are read to him. We don't actually know exactly which passage of Scripture would have been read These are more than important notes about history, even though they would have been included in the law. It was about much more than that. It was a record of God's blessing and his expectation upon his people. It was a recipe for that blessing to continue upon the people of God. It was also very clear within the word of God. If the people of God were not faithful to the word of God, that the blessing of God would not continue. 
for he is a jealous God. This was the answer to the question that I asked early 